In-depth journalism in the Memphis community, The Daily Memphian is of Memphis, not just in Memphis, and seeks to tell the stories of this city. TheDailyMemphian.com. Truth in place. Shoot it! We deliver tickets, team merchandise, and everything you need for the game. But what you really get is so much more. FedEx delivery. Game day spirit. What we deliver by delivering. Welcome to the Daily Memphian Grizzlies podcast, where we're doing something a little different this week. For the past several years, I've been the preseason Grizzlies preview guest on Nate Duncan's popular Dunked On podcast. Nate was nice enough to have me back on again this season, and also nice enough to let us simulcast the conversation here. If you're interested in similarly in-depth pods on other NBA teams, you can find them on the Dunked On feed, available just like our own weekly Grizzlies podcast, wherever you get your audio. Now, time to discuss another team that I, I would probably put maybe in my top five of teams that I had difficulty projecting this year. And because they have a lot of new faces, they have a lot of young players as well. And that's the Memphis Grizzlies. And our intrepid guest, Chris Harrington, is going to help us bring some order to our thoughts about the Memphis Grizzlies. How are you doing, Chris? I'm, I'm doing well, Nate. Thanks for having me on again. I'll, I look forward to this every year. Yeah, so so do I. And so I guess the place that I want to start here, do you think that anything about last year's performance is relevant to a projection this year, or should we just throw that out in our discussion? About the only thing that matters from last season going into this season is, you know, what you glean from um, Jaron Jackson Jr. as a rookie. That That's really about it. Um, there's been almost wholesale change top to bottom. Um, every opening night starter from a year ago was gone. Um, it, depending on what happen, happens with Ivan Rab, it's possible there will only be three players on this opening night roster who will, will have been on last season's opening night roster. And so, no, I don't think last season tells us much of it, tells us much of anything. Well, let's talk uh, about Jaron Jackson Jr. in that case, because uh, I think there are a lot of differing opinions on him. The fact that he missed, you know, maybe the last, I think it was 24 games of, of the season with that quad issue kind of had him out of the national consciousness. I think there are most people who were saying around the time he got hurt, maybe that he was even, well, I shouldn't say most people, but there are many people, especially the analytically focused who thought he was actually the second best rookie around the time he got hurt. Then Trey young had a massive surge to end the season. He obviously didn't get to fatten up uh, on some of the teams that were in rebuilding mode at the end of the year. Uh, and then they didn't put up a ton of traditional stats. The Grizzlies really got destroyed whenever he was on the floor without another center. Uh, but ultimately, what do you make of Jaron Jackson's rookie year? Do you think he's profiling as you know kind of a nice player, or are you more along the lines of, hey, this guy might be you know a future star if not superstar? Well, I mean, I think you have to take into account that he was the youngest rotation player in the NBA last season. He was the second youngest player overall behind, you know, Isaac Bonga with the Lakers who didn't really play. And so he did everything at age 19. And you also have to take into account that unlike the other four players who are top five picks and on the all-rookie team, he's a defense-first player, um, not an offense-first player. And so the fact that he that his three-point shooting translated to the NBA – that he was ahead of schedule, I think, as a low post player um, and and looked good off the bounce. His offense was 
as a whole, I think ahead of where people expected it to be. I think at least should have reasonably expected it to be. And that's not his, that's not necessarily his calling card. I think he projects as an all NBA defender. And so to me, what's special about, and I do think he has a chance to be special. What's special about him is that diversity of skills that, that he, he looks like a player who he may not be your 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 top option offensively on a good team the way a Luka Doncic or a Trey Young will be, but he looks like he can be an All NBA defender who scores twenty points a night. Like, and there just aren't that many of those. And has the versatility to play the four, to play the five, and because of his versatility, sort of opens up in what you can do as a team. Like, there's no he he doesn't limit you in any way. I mean, it's all allowances with him. You can play almost any style with him. You you can play with almost any set of teammates. And so I think as a building block having a big man who's a two-way player who allows you to play almost any way you want to play, traditional or pace and space or whatever. I mean, I think he's a great building block to have. I think he will be a multi-time all-star. You know, I don't know if he'll ever be a top 10 player in the league, but I think he'll be an all-star. Yeah, that's a I mean, I think maybe if he's not an all-star, it's because of the reason that some of his skills are more difficult to appreciate than perhaps uh, the casual fan is going to see. And also just because, you know, since time immemorial, it's been hard to make the all-star game in the Western Conference right, right. than the Eastern Conference. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I'm pretty much in agreement with you there. Um, can you just give, give me a quick breakdown of him? Let's start with his offensive game as far as where he's at and where he might be able to take steps forward this year. You know, he's got a little bit of a funky release um, on his shot, but it went in. He shot, you know, more than better than 35% from three last season. Um, he, he was, he was able to shoot off the dribble, even from deep a little bit better than I people expected. He memorably hit a, hit a game winner over LeBron off the dribble um, in a game against the Lakers. He was ahead of schedule, and I don't know how much you'll see this with the system changes, but he was really ahead of schedule as a low post player. He scored a lot on the block. Um, partly that was he, he was defended by power forwards playing with Marcus All, and he had great entry passer in Marcus All, but there was a lot of high low action. He was really good on the block last season. Um, the question for him is more what can he do off the dribble, sort of the in between game? Can he score as an ISO? But I think it's a guy who can who can spot up, spread the floor. He'll hit trail threes. Um, he he can he can finish on the break. He can finish you know off off pick and roll. Um, and the guy's got a point guard now. is going to deliver him the ball. I think he's a guy who can get you know with, with the minutes he's going to get. He he's a guy who can get you twenty a game just in the flow without really running anything for him or featuring him. And so I think you know he looks like a guy who's like a number two offensive player on a good team down the line. But I think he's a good number two. Um, you know, he, he's a guy who, as a complimentary um, offensive player to to a good guard, which hopefully John Moran is, I, I think he's going to be, you know, uh, I think he'll be a 20-point-a-game player. I don't think he'll ever be a 25-point-a-game player. I don't think he's like Carl Anthony Towns or anything. But I think he, he will, at his peak, be a 20-point-a-game guy just getting it in the flow. Yeah, I'll echo a lot of what you said. I mean, I think his – his post game is relatively rudimentary. His drive game is relatively rudimentary, as you might expect for someone, as you mentioned, one of the youngest players in the NBA. You know, really needs to work on going to his right, finishing over his left shoulder in addition to his right shoulder. Even as a right-handed player, he really loves the left-handed hook shot. Um, and part of the limitation in his game, too, is just because he's got that low, funky release, I actually like that a little bit from outside. He can get it off quickly. 
but he can't really shoot any kind of turnaround jump shot with that kind of a release. He'll just get it blocked. Uh, so that kind of puts a little bit of a limit on his scoring around the basket. And he's not quite your nuclear athlete. I mean, he can go up and get an alley-oop if it's right at the rim, but he's not going to take it above the square and really dunk on you. you know, I think he can be a solid pick and roll center but not if, if he eventually does. Become no, his athleticism is yeah. more about length and timing than explosiveness. Yeah. That's certainly true. Yeah. He is not a Bagley or even an Aiton in that regard. But I will note, he's gotten bigger. Um, he, he said on media day, yeah. the Grizzlies have not released official measurements yet. You know, they're doing, you know, they, they, they're required now to do the new measurements. But Jackson said on media day, he said he had just come out of the training room and he'd measured 6'11 in socks. And that's about an inch and a quarter higher than he measured at the draft combine. Um, he looks physically, as you would expect, a guy goes from 19 to 20. Like, he's still developing physically. So he looks bigger. He looks stronger. He's never going to be an explosive athlete, but he's, he he can play easily above the rim. I think he is going to catch lobs. He's going to dunk. Um, he, but you're right that, that that you know, at the highest levels of playoff basketball, when you need to create a shot, it's not clear he's going to be the guy you can just give the ball to and create a shot. He may be dependent on shot creation elsewhere, which is, I think, what part of what makes it makes people in Memphis think that you know he and John Morant will pair, pair together so well, and that John Morant's game might help elevate Jaron Jackson Jr.'s game. Yeah, and I think the other thing that I'm just so excited about with him that I think I actually want to get your opinion on this, uh, uh, but I, I thought I just wanted to see him shoot more three pointers last year. I mean, when, that first summer league game was just so eye opening I think he was shot eight out of 13 on threes in that first summer league game against the Hawks he was just bombing them from everywhere shooting it just incredibly fast not even having his feet set and you know obviously you're not going to shoot eight out of 13 but just to get up the 13 three-point attempts and it seemed like there might have been a little bit of a mandate almost sort of like with a Carl Anthony Towns at Kentucky that hey you know what? no we want to actually get you focusing a little bit more on your play around the basket get you tougher. J.B. Bickerstaff has a reputation as that old school kind of coach. Did you sense that from the organization that they were trying to work on that with him last year for, for good or for ill and uh, that he could have maybe done more from the three-point line with uh, a different emphasis? No, no, I think that's true. I, I don't know if they ever quite said that explicitly, but there was the sense that they were trying to develop that post game with him, develop that, that game closer to the basket. And there was certainly not an emphasis, if not an emphasis put on him as a volume three point shooter. I think that's about to change. I think we'll get into this, but in terms of system and style changes, it's going to be a radical change um, in Memphis this year in terms of coaching perspective and the kind and what they try to do offensively. And so I'll be surprised if his, his three point volume doesn't boost significantly in year two. So we spent a lot of time talking about his offense. That's easier to talk about sometimes. Defensively, certainly great timing, pretty good feet as a switch guy. Um, but maybe we can talk instead. Uh, you know, I think everyone agrees he has the potential to be a game-changing defender. But what does he need to work on uh, on that end quickly here? Well, I mean, he's got to get physically stronger, and, and that that'll that's already happening, and that that will happen as, as he grows into his body. Um, you know, as he gets stronger, he will he'll be able to hold his ground a little bit better. I mean, I think he's a great weak side shot blocker already. Um, but in terms of defending one on one in the post against the bigger centers, that that will get better over time. I think he can. He's certainly shown as a rookie 
and and, and some of what we saw in the summer and, and the the select team game, like he can get knocked off his spot. Um, that hopefully will improve as he gets stronger. Um, I think he's going to be a guy who can defend, you know, maybe not one through five all players, but I think he'll be able to switch onto a lot of perimeter players and at least hold his own, at least slow him down. And, and I think, you know, I think I think it's just going to take reps there. I, I think. I think with defense, so much of it is not just your physical building, your instincts, but also just learning, you know, in the NBA context. And so I think it'll take time, but but I think he's going to be a versatile defender who can who can you know at least against bigger perimeter players and you know in, in terms of um, slowing down guards in pick and roll settings and stuff like that. I think he's going to be effective. Um, you know, he's going to have a lot of versatility defensively. I think. So you mentioned guarding other centers. He is not slated to be the starting center this year. This is Jonas Valanciunas. They traded for him. Then they re-signed him to starter money for three years. Three years, $45 million for Valanciunas. Jackson, I presume, profiles as the starting power forward. They don't really have much of an established quality backup center behind Valanciunas. So is the plan going to be they start together, they play the first six minutes, and then Jaron will come in and play some backup center, and you know we'll see what see what we see uh, when it comes to the closing lineup as, as far as what the opponent is doing? I, I've asked the, you know, the new coach, Taylor Jenkins, I've asked him that about staggering their minutes. He's been noncommittal about it. That is what I suspect will be the case. Um, Jonas Valanciunas has not played in preseason, and he won't play in preseason with a sore foot. Um, they're still hopeful he'll be able to go on opening night, and, and Jenkins has named him a starter. Um, but we haven't had a sneak preview of, of of how that rotation might go because Valanciunas has not played in the preseason. So in the preseason, Jackson has started at center next to Brandon Clark, and they've played small um, whenever Jackson's not on the floor. They've played, played um, either Clark or Bruno Caboclo as a backup center, and they've been experimenting with that sort of smaller lineups off the bench. Um, but I do suspect that, you know, if everyone's healthy in, in the season, that they will stagger minutes. Um, to me, it, it, you, you almost have to do that. If, if Valanciunas is going to be your starter um, and you want to st- develop Jackson as a center down the line, to me, you have to stagger their minutes to get Valanciunas his minutes and get Jackson time at center. Um, and so even though they're intrigued by, you know, Bruno Caboclo's small ball center, I, I got to think over the course of 48 minutes when you have Jackson and Valanciunas available, they'll they'll sort of share that time. All right, so now let's talk a little bit about the number two overall pick. John Morant did not see him, much to my dismay in summer league, because not that I was worried about him, but just because I really wanted to see the guy because his film it was some of the best passing, some of the most exciting play that I recall ever seeing from a, a prospect. So what's his status now coming back uh, from that knee injury? I guess we can start there. Is he full go? Yeah, no, he, yeah, he played. He's played both preseason games. The Grizzlies held him out of um, of anything. Like he didn't even do open gym, like you know, stuff with with teammates. He didn't play at all until training camp started. But that was a that was by the Grizzlies' request, strictly precautionary. He's been full go ever since. And you know, I have to say, I, I, there there are tons of questions about him, and we can get into that. There's questions about his shooting, about his defense, about his finishing. Seeing him in person, and I saw him in college. I watched five or six games. I thought he was the second best prospect in the draft. I think I had a good handle on what he was good at, you know, his strengths and weaknesses. But seeing him in person for the first time, like I watched Mike Conley up close for 10 years, and Morant may never be as good of an all-around player as Conley. Like only time will tell on that. But in terms of combination athleticism and skill level with the ball, it it was almost it was it it 
you could it was almost physical um how how sort of startling Morant was. It was exciting in a way that like Conley never was in terms of just specifically in terms of his handle, his vision, his passing and his quickness. Like there's just an electric quality to him with the ball that 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 was pretty pretty special. Now whether the rest of the game comes around to match that, you know, that that remains to be seen, but but his skill level and athleticism is is pretty off the charts. Oh yeah, I mean, and you know, I think some people have seen some big dunks from him on highlights, and but you know, the casual fan didn't really see him at all until the NCAA tournament. Maybe there's the oh, you know, he's one of these pretty athletic point guards, you know. But I mean, the handle and the passing are just otherworldly. I mean, you see just some of the dribble moves that he has, just like those quick behind the backs when you're not expecting it, and just like one of the most creative handles. And now, you know, he's really got to tighten up. Right. Sure. I mean, the turnovers were insane last year, but uh, just the creativity in his handle is just, you know, one of the best I've ever seen from a prospect. And so it's his passing. I mean, he could throw every pass, both hands, lobs, uh, just a great pick and roll craft. I just, I was wowed by it. And I mean, how does he look just in these first couple of preseason games? I know one of them was against, uh, I think it was Maccabi Haifa. Yeah, the Both o- their games actually have been against the non-NBA right. teams, right? The other was against the Breakers. He went head-to-head with Archie yeah. Hampton, which wasn't much of a duel in, in that game. Um, he, he has been, he's been electric with the ball. Um, the thing is like the, the, the second game against the breakers, the first five minutes were just mesmerizing watching him and the passes he was throwing and, and the way he was breaking down a defense. But then as the game went on, you started to realize that it was like he was going for a highlight assist every single time down the floor. And, and it almost felt like, you know, because he can do spectacular things, he, he felt like I'm going to try to do something spe- spectacular on every possession. And that ended up not being as effective. So I think that's going to be a learning process for him in terms of, you know, the, Taylor Jenkins has said, like, they, they want to let him go. They put the ball in his hands. They, they want him to go full throttle, and then they'll dial him back over time. But but they, they, they want him to be pushing the envelope as a player. And so he's got to be able to modulate that, um, and we'll, we'll see how that works over time. But he has – it was almost more – you know, we had Jason Williams here in Memphis early on when the Grizzlies first moved here. And it all—it was more Jay Will than Mike Conley, and just in terms of the anticipation of what is this guy going to do with the ball, um, his ability to, to find open shooters with skip passes and, and cross court passes, is his ability to penetrate and, and just find the, just a sliver of space for a guy for a dump off or a lob. Um, I mean, it was—you felt like you couldn't take your eyes off of him because something spectacular might happen any moment. And, you know, that has upside and downside. And so we'll see how his game evolves. But he was, I think everyone who saw him in person those first two games came away feeling a lot better. A lot of the mystery was removed just in terms of, is he as talented with the ball as he looked like in college? And the answer is yes. Again, the rest of his game, there are more questions. But in terms of skill level with the ball, like it's all there. Jason Williams, to me, is a really interesting comparison. And one that I hadn't thought of before, but in terms of the flair, I think that might be a pretty reasonable one as far as what to expect. Now, I think Jock could be a much better scorer. He's a much better athlete than Jason was. Uh, looking at his tape, I thought that he was atrocious defensively. He didn't really Where try in college, right? I mean, he, he was such a non-combatant at Murray State, and part of that was the usage I, level. That's a great 
That's a great way to put it, a non-combat. Yeah, I mean, his usage level was so high offensively that it felt like he just took took the other possessions off. I didn't, I mean, I didn't see every game he played. I think I watched five of those games, and that's sort of the sense that I had. Um, his, usage, his usage level might be pretty high in Memphis, too. I mean, it, it seemed like, at least in these first games, he's he was dictating the outcome of pretty much every possession, and we'll see how that evolves over time. Um, my feeling with him defensively is – He's got decent size, not great size. He's 6'3", 6'6", wingspan. Um, he's obviously a great athlete in terms of quickness. Um, if he gets stronger and he puts in the effort, he should be able to be decent defensively. Now, the problem is that he may always be a one-position one, one position defender, and that may limit what they can do. That may, might make him easier to hunt um, against teams that don't have to have a small guard on the floor. And so I, you know, I, I think there's probably a ceiling to what he can be defensively, but you know, it, compared to someone like Trey Young, you know, last year as you know the top point guard in that class, I think he will start higher than that, and he'll always be higher than that. But I, but I don't think it'll ever be a strength of his game. And I, I know I don't know that he has, even if he matches up physically with with the, you know Mike Conley, I don't think he has that sort of an, an inherent demeanor and sort of nose for the ball that Conley came into the league with. And so I, I suspect it will always be a weakness of his, but he's got the ability as he gets stronger, at least to maybe to be a league average defender at, at the point. But I don't know if he'll ever be better than that. So if I were going to guess what his stats are and feel free to uh, quibble here, if you see differently, I'm thinking like, you know, 51, 52% true shooting. Like I think it's going to be really tough for him to be above average efficiency this year, I think he's going to be average over eight assists a game. Like it wouldn't shock me if he gets over 10 assists a game in this first year. Um, and, you know, maybe like 32% from three point range. I think he's probably, he'll have some big dunks, but he's probably going to struggle to shoot it at the rim. Do you think that's a reasonable projection? Or you think might, you see yeah. I mean, I, I'm pretty high on his assist numbers. A 10 seems, seems like a lot. I don't, not many people get up to that anymore. Yeah. Um, but just I, because there's nobody else. Yeah. That's no, no I, I think like, nobody else in the team can run a pick and roll. I think they're going to be very dependent on their point guards to create shots for people, both, both John Moran and Tyus Jones. So I, I think, I think those two players are going to have very high assist totals relative to their playing time. Um, because they're both really good passers, and I think the team is going to need them to create shots for other people. Um, I do think Morant will be, you know, top ten. You know, in terms of assist average, I think he'll be top ten in the league. Um, around eight. This sounds about right to me. I think he'll be a double digit scorer, like you know, on a per game basis. But I don't think the efficiency will be great, and I, I'll be surprised if he cracks fifteen. You know, twelve, thirteen points a game, fourteen maybe, with middling efficiency. Sounds about right. The shooting is a real mystery. I mean, I mean, it was it was something you know when you watch him in college, um, his three point shooting got better from year one to year two, both in terms of frequently and free frequency and effectiveness, and that was a good sign. He was a good free throw shooter, which you know, as you know, tends to be a better indicator sometimes, um, over eighty percent. Um, but he's got sort of a slow gather and sort of a low release. Um, it almost looks almost a little like a set shot, even off the dribble. And there's yeah. a real question about how that's going to translate against NBA defenses. Um, he hasn't played against an NBA defense yet. He's only, so as we're talking, he's he's played two preseason games against um, international teams. Um, he was going up against a guy named Gregory Vargas, who's going up against Norris Cole. He's going up against you know, RJ Hampton. So these are not NBA point guards. Um, 
and he 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 attempted three. He's attempted in his first two preseason games. He's attempted three jump shots, one three pointer. So we just don't have a lot to go on on this. I, I talked to Taylor Jenkins about it, about whether the Grizzlies thought his mechanics are going to have to change, evolve, you know, speed up against NBA defenses. And they basically said the answer was essentially maybe, but we're not worried about that right now. That might be a next summer project. We just want him to be aggressive and to be confident and to go out and shoot the ball. And we will we'll sort of evaluate it over the course of this rookie season and see if we think you know he needs to adjust as a shooter. But I think there's a real question about how good of a shooter he can be at the NBA level. He's clearly got the touch if you look at you know the, the free throw shooting, but but his his mechanics are not the kind of mechanics you know you see from the top guards in the league. Yeah, I'm most worried about his ability to get his shot off in mid range. I think, like you said, the, the touch seems decent, but the versatility of that jump shot. Uh, his ability to rise up and, and shoot over the top. And, and that may just require some surgery. I mean, he may just end up taking a different shot from three-point range than he takes from the mid-range. And he may have to just uh, work on that. And especially with today's NBA defenses calculated to give up that shot. I mean, he's eventually going to need that as a counter, but uh, I don't expect that like you to be there uh, in year one. Let's talk about another prominent addition who probably really just has not been discussed very much at all, uh, and that's Taylor Jenkins, who comes over from Mike Budenholzer's system uh, with the Milwaukee Bucks. You mentioned there are going to be some system changes. He is uh, a bit of a departure in many ways from J.B. Bickerstaff, so... What's uh, what are some of the core tenets that he's been preaching here uh, on both ends? Well, he's talked about bringing he's talked about bringing some of those principles, you know, from Milwaukee and then from Atlanta before that, where he was with Mike Budenholzer, and and to the degree that, that he can implement that, it's just so radically different from not just JB Bickerstaff, but really the past decade of Grizzlies basketball. I mean, in terms of in terms of style, in terms of in terms of you know, um, in terms of the kind of shot selection. I was looking at some stats earlier today. Like just comparing Milwaukee last season to Memphis last season, obviously qualitatively that's a huge difference. But just in terms of like how they were playing, right? I mean, Milwaukee was fifth in pace; the Grizzlies were dead last. Um, Milwaukee was third in three point frequency; the Grizzlies were nineteenth. Um, the Grizzlies were eighth in post ups; Milwaukee was twenty first. Grizzlies were sixth in paint touches; Milwaukee was twenty seventh. The Grizzlies, as always, when with Marcus All, were first in elbow touches; Milwaukee was last. It's just such mm. a radically different style of play offensively. And, you know, and, and they're really he's really preaching that pace and space, despite, you know, the limited shooting ability this team has. He, he really wants to focus on building a culture and building a system beyond just this season. And so he's, you know, the, the Grizzlies practice court now, they, they've, they've put blue five blue boxes around the around the, the arc, you know, two in the corners and three up top. And they're getting people to run to the blocks um, a lot more five out. It's been, you know, it's common in the NBA, but it's weird to watch Grizzlies games and see the middle of the floor completely open, like like everyone around the, the three-point yeah. three line. We're, we're just so used to seeing not only low post play, but like high-low, like the Gasol to Zebo, the Gasol to Jackson. We're seeing two two guys around the block, and we're seeing no one around the block. Um, so he's really preaching, get out fast, run to your spots, you know, attack the rim early, and then spread the floor, and everyone shoots threes. Um and, you know, maybe other than Brandon Clark, although he shot some in summer league, but like basically everyone else, like yeah, I've watched, you know, Jonas Valanciunas hasn't played yet, but in his pregame workouts, he's shooting threes now, um, you know, whether he can follow in the Mark Gasol, you know, um, 
Brooke Lopez mold remains to be seen. I, I, I'm doubtful, but but they're trying. And so, and so, you know, they're really, I think the Grizzlies shot selection is going to modernize dramatically this season. Um, how effective that is with the personnel they have is a different matter. But Jenkins is trying to build a system not just for this season. It's for, for not just for the roster he, he has, but the roster he's going to have over time. Um, and so you're going to see a radically different style of basketball in Memphis. Yeah, anything defensively that he's been focusing on? It's It's been harder to get a handle on that. Um, and partly with Valanciunas being out, we haven't seen like how they're going to function defensively with two true bigs on the floor, which is what they're going to the way they're going to start. Um, there doesn't seem to be much switching going on, um, less so than than, than than we've seen. I know obviously Milwaukee sort of you know was notable last season for having an elite defense that gave up a lot of three point shots, which was sort of counterintuitive. Um, I just think it's too early. Um, at this point, I don't have a great feel for what they're going to be yeah. like defensively. Yeah, and I think they could put out some really nice switching lineups. I mean, yeah, with with their personnel. Uh, right? I mean, yeah, other than the point guards. Uh, no, you've got. Sure. I mean, Jaron Jackson, Brandon Clark is made for that. I mean, if he's going to be, you know, sort of an elite role player, it's going to be in part because of that. Um, Kyle Anderson has had his shoulder stuff, but Kyle Anderson to me is a, is probably the best perimeter defender on the team and a guy who can guard multiple spots. Jay Crowder, probably a little overrated defensively, but still, you know, a versatile defender. Bruno Caboclo is a guy who can guard, you know, both, you know, wings and, and some bigs. And so they, they do have a lot of that versatility yeah. in terms of their personnel. Uh, Andre Guadala, you know, comes from a switching <laughs> right. system. He could fit right. right in. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We won't, we won't be seeing him on the, on the he, he, next time he plays on the FedEx forum floor, it will be in a Lakers uniform or a Clippers uniform or, or something like that. Yeah, so, but yeah, I, I, I'm really excited to see that. I mean, this is a team, and that was part of what was so difficult for me in projecting them, which we'll talk talk about later. It's just, you know, what these guys are going to look like defensively. I thought there's a chance they could actually be okay. They're, I mean, uh, they are going to be, end, yeah. they're going to be worth, last season they were 27th on offense and 9th on defense, at least by the way in, NBA.com tracks it. Um, they're going to be worse defensively, but I think they got a pretty good chance to be in the middle third of the league, not the bottom third. Um, you yeah. know, they won't be ninth, but I, I, I think they have the personnel despite their youth to be decent, you know, average to close to average defensively. I don't know how much better they'll be if any than 27th offensively like that, that, that may be your, your over under for them. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's going to be tough. We, we can, we can hit on that, how this overall group fits together a, a little bit later. Um, so let's see here. Yeah, I guess the other major newcomer would be Brandon Clark. Give me maybe a, a minute or so on, on what you've seen from him so far. Um, he's looked good, uh, especially on the boards. Um, he's he looks. You know, we've gotten a sort of a preview of coming attractions with him and and, and Jaron playing together without Balanchunas out there. That may be the front court pairing of the future for the Grizzlies. Um, he's looked like um, a good defender, good rebounder. Um, you know, a guy who can who, who's with his hops, he's going to be able to finish stuff around the basket on putbacks, on on you know a good lob target, um, dump off target for John Morant. Um, you know, to me, he looks like a role player. Like I, I, I was high on him in the draft. I was not as high on him as his more ardent supporters in the you know the NBA in the wilds of the NBA. Like I didn't think he was a top five prospect or anything like that. Um, but to me, he was probably a lottery level prospect, and and I think particularly a good fit with Jaron Jackson Jr. and John Morant. 
Like, it seems if he pans out, he's a really good fit as a role player around those two players. And I think he'll play a lot this season. He'll be the third big, essentially, behind Jaron and, and, and Jaron Jackson and Jonas Valanciunas. I think he pairs great with Jaron Jackson. I'm not sure how well he'll be able to play with Jonas Valanciunas, and that will be interesting to see if they can really yeah. play those two together. Um, you know, and I'm not convinced his shooting is going to come along at the NBA level. We'll see. Um, but but I, I think he, he certainly looks promising so far. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. Um, can we talk a little bit about this Josh Jackson thing? I mean, I, I never expected him to really figure with this team uh, on the floor because, you know, he's really struggled his first couple of years. I didn't particularly care for him as a prospect. He can't shoot. He's a big usage guy, uh, obviously has had some personal issues. But it really seemed uh, – your colleague uh, Amari Sankofa's report, and I apologize if you had, had something on this as well, that I missed it, saying that basically he's going to start the season in the G League. He hasn't even been around camp. Right. And that, you know, he might not even – make the team potentially, yeah. uh, but he, he could be brought back later. Uh, what's, what's going on there? Maybe I misread his, his no, reports no, there no, as no. not making the team, but no, that, that I mean, I mean, at this point it seems like he will make the 15 man roster when the season starts. He just won't be with the Grizzlies. He'll be with the G league Memphis hustle. Um, when they, when that trade happened, um, Josh Jackson was sort of the, the initial headline of the trade. Cause you know, former top five pick, what, you know, but what became clear was, Phoenix made that trade to get off of Josh Jackson's contract and the Grizzlies oh, sure. and the Grizzlies took that contract, you know, as the cost of the business they really wanted to do, which was to get the Anthony Mountain and to get one second round pick and potentially two second round picks, you know, depending on how the protections work out. And so the Grizzlies did not make that trade to get Josh Jackson, but they made the trade and you have them, you have a decision to make. Um, I think what they've determined is, you know, it's a sunk cost. Either we're paying him to be a member for our team or we're going to pay him to go away. Let's at least, you know, given where we at, we're at in our rebuilding process, it prob- it we should do the due diligence of taking a look at him. Given his problems, they weren't comfortable bringing him into the locker room with this young team immediately. And so they agreed with with him, with, with his representation, that he would stay out of training camp. He would start the season as a roster player for the Grizzlies, but start the season with the G League Memphis Hustle. And it's basically a go prove yourself as much off the court as on the court. Like prove you can be a good teammate, prove you can be good in the locker room. Um, and if, you know, you have a chance to convince us you're worth bringing up and putting in our locker room and giving you a chance with the Grizzlies. And either he will do that or he won't. And if he won't, I suspect I'll just buy him out at some point. But it's, it seems certain at this point they will carry him into the season on the roster. And I have to assume it's probably certain at this point they will not pick up his option for 2021. Oh, yeah, man. Guess that if he's not worth starting the season with the team, they may not want to pay him right. eight point nine million next year, especially in a season where they could have some cap space. I'm not expecting some big free agent score, but you know they they could get in the restricted free agent market. Uh, they could also uh, potentially get into the bad money derby uh, again this season. So yeah, I mean that that ultimately now they would have if he did actually work out okay this season, uh, he would have. They would have up to eight point nine million right. that they could pay him if they it, wanted to bring. And it's him hard back to imagine him working out to the point that anyone's going to pay him more than that, given his track record, right? And so there's not much risk there. Yeah. Um, yeah but you know, but exactly. there, th- this is a full on rebuild de- development season. Um, it's funny you go, 
you know, a lot of teams will 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 put their put what what they believe like up on the wall um, in the players area, like the famous you know Spurs pounding the rock thing. And the Grizzlies have had variations on you know grit and grind and toughness and all this. And I noticed the last game I was leaving, I was going through the the back corridors, basically the same hallway the players take is when they go from the parking lot to the locker room. And there's a new thing up on the wall. Uh, it's a Grizzlies logo, and it says "Compete together, get better." And that's all this season is about for the Grizzlies. And so, you know, for them, you got a roster spot decision to make. But, you know, if you're if you're deciding between Josh Jackson and Miles Plumley or Josh Jackson and Ivan Rabb at this point, it's probably worth taking a little bit of a longer look at Josh Jackson if there's any chance he's going to be anything for you. Yeah, it really seems like because they've got 17 contracts. Kabaklo has three hundred thousand guaranteed out of his right. one point eight million uh that's not guaranteed. But it, you know, I think they it seems like from what you're saying, and I agree they should probably want to keep him. He, he showed some signs. Yeah, I with mean, them. I'll, so I'll it be... really seems like one of or, or I'm sorry, two of Plumley, Rab, and Jackson are gonna have to go. Is or so- where they're at, at this or point? Solomon Hill. Solomon Hill's in a similar spot oh, yeah. to, to Plumley. Those are the two contracts. They basically broke Chandler Parsons' big expiring contract into two midsize expiring contracts in Plumley and Hill, with the idea being like those, you know, twelve million dollar expirings might be more interesting trade chips later in the season than one big, you know, twenty five million. But given the roster crunch, they may have to eat one of those or potentially yeah. even both. My my guess today, and I don't know what they're going to do, but if I had to guess, I think they it would be Plumley and Rab who would go, and they'd keep Solomon Hill as a veteran guy in the locker room, and then a twelve million dollar expiring that they could potentially use if the opportunity comes up. So, let's see, where do I want to go next here? Um, is there anything about this team, which uh, you know has probably been perpetually undercovered, but especially now with the end of the the grit and grind era? But to the extent a national narrative exists about this team, is there anything that you look at that maybe people aren't realizing about this team right now or that's been undercovered in your mind? Well, I mean, everything's so new. I think we're all trying to figure it out together, and that includes the front office and the coaches. Uh, The one thing I guess I would say in that regard is something we've already talked about a little bit, and that is that there's this assumption, I think, particularly among like the national NBA media, that Jaron Jackson Jr. has to be a center. And I think that's probably ultimately true. I do not I, I agree with the Grizzlies. That does not need to be true today. Um he he just turned 20 a few weeks ago. He's still growing into his body. He had a he had a very high foul rate as a rookie that he needs to bring down. I mean, they're, they're taking sort of a long view with this, and I don't think you know, I, I don't think he necessarily needs to be taking the pounding of a Joel Embiid and a Nikola Jokic and all that next season. I, I think they can evolve over time to what he's going to be. And I think ultimately center probably is his primary position down the line. But I also think his, his greatest attribute is his versatility. And having him as the centerpiece of your front court will allow you to have different looks. You can play big if you want to play big. You can play small if you want to play small. And if you have the right... To me, the answer to who's the best player to play with Jaron Jackson in the front court is optionality. It's not necessarily one person. And so to me, I would I think they're right to ease him into being a center, but they're also right to be to take advantage of that versatility permanently. I mean, going forward. And so I don't think they need to lock him into that position right now. Yeah, I think also with this roster where you don't necessarily have I, I mean, uh, and especially with just the lack of talent that they have overall, at least in terms of established talent, 
Valanciunas is a solid player, especially right. when you consider how bad this offense projects to be. I mean, he's probably their best offensive player this year. You know, and and so, I mean, obviously winning is not the priority this season, but and it's not like you know paying him maybe three million dollars a year more than he's worth. He was a free agent. You maybe have to overpay in the situation that you're in. Uh, but, you know, he's a quality starting center. He's got some defensive limitations. Uh, I understand that. But he's a, a, a decent post-up guy, really good on the offensive glass, which could be a strength for them this year. And, you know, he's one of the more efficient role men in basketball, kind of like an Ennis Cantor who's not as terrible defensively as far as being a role man. So, yeah, I mean, he, um, he also – he just turned 27, yeah. so you're you're getting his prime. It's a contract that is a little high, I think, relative to market, but it is it declines. So it's a declining contract. It's only three years, and so it comes up before you have to pay the second contract on Jaron Jackson Jr. And so I think he can help you now in terms of putting a more competitive team on the floor. Um, they like him in the locker room. Um, I think because I think he could, he, you know, he sort of evolved into a platoon player in Toronto, and I think he can he could probably evolve back into a platoon player in Memphis. That could happen over the course of that contract. But you know, he's productive. He's relatively young. The contract is. Because it declines, it's not crazy. He could still be a trade chip. Like that, that is not, if he stays healthy, that's not an untradeable contract. Yeah. I mean, I, I worry about him at the highest levels, you know, which I think is part of why Toronto wanted to move right. on from him defensively. But, you know, as we know, it's a long time before the Grizzlies have those types of, of concerns. And now we're going to take a break for a word from our sponsor. The Daily Memphian and Grizzlies podcast is brought to you by FedEx possibilities what we deliver by delivering any other interesting lineup playing time issues uh, that you think taylor jenkins we have to sort out this year i mean we haven't mentioned a lot of players on this roster yet. yeah i mean we haven't mentioned a lot of the we haven't mentioned a lot of the wings the wings aren't very mentionable um he's announced you know (laughs) john morant jared jackson jr Jonas valanciutas those are three starters i mean we know tyus jones will back up john morant we know i think we know brandon clark's the third big the wing is where it's totally unsettled. Um, he has not named starters on the wing. The default combo right now is Dylan Brooks and Jay Crowder. I think Jay Crowder will, Crowder will almost certainly start at the three when the season regular season starts. Whether he'll he will remain a Grizzly all season is a different story. I think it's an open competition at the two. I mean, you have Dylan Brooks who had a good rookie season two years ago. Um, only played 18 games due to injuries last season. He's trying to get his career back on track ahead of his own free agency a year from now. You have Grayson Allen, who's getting, I think, a great second chance for him after sort of a you know a rough rookie season in Utah. Um, you've got De'Anthony Melton, who I think was miscast as a starting point guard in in Phoenix, and maybe have, may have a pathway to playing time as more of a three and D two guard. And you have Marco Gudurich, who they imported from Serbia, who was a you know a sharpshooter in Europe. We'll see if his game translates. But it's sort of an open competition among those four players for the starting two and for like rotation roles. Um, off the bench and the Grizzlies are really just trying to find if anyone can stick like are any of those four players going to be someone you can keep long term with the Jaron Jackson and John Morant yeah Gudurich to me from afar I haven't watched him that closely but just because of his skill set as probably being the most established shooter there uh, and you know maybe because also just Grayson Allen kind of a more familiar with him, I'm just not quite buying him right. uh, so far, and he seems like more of a more of a bench guy with his skill set as well and his size as kind of a combo off the bench. Um, but he seems like at least in terms of skill set to get some shooting on the floor, which uh, as you mentioned, Jenkins values. 
he seems like he could be the guy who makes the most sense there. But the most organizational equity seems like it's uh, tied up uh, in Dylan Brooks. And they do need someone, you know, Brooks maybe seems like he's the best ball handler of that group. But they do need one other guy who can attack off the dribble other than Josh. Yeah, I mean, the thing with, with Brooks is that he, he he these preseason games, he's been trying a little too hard um, to create with the ball. Um, he's a guy who can he can attack a closeout, he can get in the lane, he can he can draw contact and get a shot off, he can pull up, he can hit from mid-range. He can do a little bit with the ball. Sometimes he tries to do too much. He tends to have a little bit of an outsized perception of what his game is. And trying, yeah. to, trying to modulate that, I, I, I think, is, is is important. With Grayson Allen, I agree. Like, we'll see. I mean, he's been good in, in a couple preseason games. Neither of them were against NBA teams. It's two preseason games. But Taylor Jenkins is really – Taylor Jenkins basically played him at point guard in the fourth quarter of both of those games. They, they are they are giving Grayson Allen like an open road to to try to try to prove himself. Um, he he didn't shoot well as a rookie from three point range, but his shot looks good. Um, gets good elevation, good form. He's a really good athlete. He can play above the rim. He can he he can cram on a guy. He can block shots at the rim. He's sort of a sneaky explosive athlete. I I don't know if he'll ever be more than average at best defensively. Um, but I, I have not been a believer in him, but but seeing him up close it made me a little bit more intrigued just because his potential combination of shooting and ability to pressure the rim offensively with his athleticism. Um, you know, can he be a consistent shooter and can he just be consistent overall? Like, obviously, there's the temperament questions with him. Um, I'm not ready to buy in on him, but I, I'm sort of interested in seeing more. Another thing I think we might see, too, is Tyus Jones and Ja playing together. I mean, they paid a lot of money for Tyus Jones and let right. Deion Wright go as well. Wright was a better defensive fit with Ja, though obviously has a, some shooting limitations. Jones also shot it very poorly last year, but had been pretty solid in previous years. So, and again, I think Jones is the most established ball handler among those guys, just the most established overall NBA player, has the biggest salary. So it seems to me like they didn't bring him in to play 15 minutes a night behind John Morant. No, and that'll be interesting to see if that works. We, we, they, we've only seen a couple minutes of that so far in preseason. They haven't used that a lot yet. But you're right, just in terms of getting your best players on the floor and in terms of where where your investments are, the idea of those two playing together was, to me, one of the biggest reasons of skepticism about the signing. Because I do think DeLon Wright makes more sense as sort of that third guard role and, and sort of pairing with Morant. I think what they saw in Tyus Jones is someone I think they valued not his fit, but his skill set and his temperament. I think they see his 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 ability to as a passer as something that can help develop the other players in a way that like a Delon Wright wasn't going to, that he can aid the development of some of these young bigs um, by playing with him. And that even though he's young himself, he's a little bit of an old soul. And that he would sort of set a good example in terms of the, how to play the point guard position in the NBA for for John Morant, and I think he's bought in. Even though he's only twenty three, I think he's bought into that idea that he's sort of he's here to help develop some of these other players as well. And I think they saw his skill set as better developmentally on the floor in the practice court than than you know beyond just you know impacting games himself this season. Where's Kyle Anderson fit into this mix now? They signed him to a full mid-level restricted free agent offer sheet uh, just one summer 
ago, but now the coaching changed, the management changed. Yeah. Uh, how's he going to fit in here? He seems like a little bit of an odd man out. It's it, it's a real it, first. He has to get healthy. Um, so that's the first part. He he had um he had um I'm gonna I'm gonna mispronounce it or, or the get it thoracic outlet, outlet decompression. decompression. There surgery. you go. Um, so he had that surgery. Same surgery as Brandon Ingram. He had it for different underlying reasons, but it was the same surgery. So he had that. Uh, he had it about a month later than Ingram did, and so you know he's a month behind in terms of you know coming back. He has been playing. He's been full go practice. He he's played in the preseason. He is not fully comfortable yet. He's expressed some doubt himself about the comfort level and how long it's going to take him to feel totally normal. He does say he's making progress and that it's better. He is not experiencing the pain he experienced before the surgery, but he doesn't feel back to normal yet either. And so there's there's that question of health. But even if he gets healthy, to your point, you know, he was signed a year ago by a different front office to play for a different coach with a different set of teammates pursuing a different goal. And then since he's been hurt, literally everything has changed around him. And there's a real question of, you know, is he valued as much by the new regime um, and does he fit the new system? I mean, this, you know, Taylor Jenkins wants to play the pace and the space and, you know, Kyle Anderson's called slow-mo and he can't really shoot. Um, but what I think he does have going for him is Jenkins seems to be pretty creative. And I think Kyle Anderson needs a coach that is creative with his usage. You know, last season, you know, J.B. Bickerstaff talked in the preseason about we're going to put the ball in his hands, make him basically the backup point guard in some lineups, and it never happened. Um, they played their best basketball early last season with Kyle Anderson finishing games at power forward. Then they went away from it. He's just such a unique kind of player and he's such an odd skill set. I, I think you just have to be creative with using him. Like, he needs to handle the ball. Um, he may be better at the four than at the three. But I like his game. I think he's really skilled. Um, I think he in terms of with the ball, I think he's really good defensively. I think he was one of the maybe more one of the more the more underrated perimeter defenders defenders in the league with his length and anticipation. I think he's a good player. Whether he's going to be a good player in Memphis in this system or whether you know he needs to get healthy and they move him on to somewhere else, I don't know. But I hope that that Taylor Jenkins like puts in the time to try to figure out how to use him. Yeah, again, this is a team that just needs good players, and I think he can be a good player. Uh, I thought he was miscast bringing him in as a three. You know, right. Maybe they felt like with the shooting of Gasol uh, and Jackson that it could maybe work with him there. But it seems more like backup four for him, although his fit with Clark is a difficult one uh, with the lack of shooting that they both have. So maybe you know, he can fit better with uh, Jaron Jackson, and, and maybe there'll be some games where he plays and some games where Clark plays. Uh, on that second unit, uh, you know, he might also be a trade candidate, I, I suppose, uh, as well. But yeah, I mean, he's probably their best perimeter defender. He gets a lot of steals. He's got length. He's got some passing, which uh, outside of the point guard position has right. been pretty much in short supply on this team. It, secondary ball handling, we've been talking about that as a, a potential weakness. So yeah, it would be good to see if, if he can find a role because there are things I like about his game. But as as you mentioned, it, it is a uh, a pretty difficult fit. You mentioned the management change, and actually, I didn't mention this to you on our list of topics, but I didn't want to get your thoughts on just the management change, what's going to be different under these guys. I mean, frankly, for me, talking around the league, uh, the Zacks did not have the best reputation, uh, but I really actually like a lot of what they've done so far, buoyed, of course, by moving up to get the number two pick, but 
I think they've made a lot of nice moves around the margin here so far. So what are your thoughts on that whole transition? I think that I think the from from the ownership on down, I think they they felt like they weren't their front office work was not precise enough. And I think you look at all the confusion, the sort of the Abbott Costello routine around the Dylan Brooks, Marshawn Brooks thing that happened back in December. I think there that were, didn't look good. No, that did not look good. I mean, it may it may well be that that was more the fault of a Phoenix or a Washington, but like you know, I, I think it it sort of stains all three franchises, right? There was clearly some communication problems there. I think there were some other moves that that I think at the top level, it, they didn't feel like the that the front office was precise enough in their negotiations and 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 and, and everything they did in terms of thinking through and negotiating everything out to the very final edges of everything. And I think that was why the change happened. I mean, obviously they took a risk in a then 30 year old lead executive who, you know, hadn't even been an assistant GM till like a year or two before, um, not a deep background, but I, so I think there's a lot of skepticism. There was a lot of skepticism, but at, once you get the job, you have to just judge people on what they do. And I think everyone's impressed by by their summer. And it's, yeah, they got lucky getting the number two pick. But to me, what I look at is what they did with the Mike Conley trade. In terms of the deal that they got for Conley and the way they've continued to work the margins of that deal, um, you know, they flipped Mike Conley for, I think there'll be five players on this roster and four draft picks. And among those players still includes Iguodala and Crowder, who they may flip for yet more assets, you know, from there. They basically pulled three first round picks out of that deal, along with, you know, Grayson Allen, who they're trying to develop, D'Anthony Mountain, who is on a subsequent deal they're trying to develop. Um, I just think the way that they maximized return and continue to work to maximize more return out of that Conley deal is really almost equal to the John, not equal to, but second to the John Morant luck is really what's gotten them off to, I think, a pretty good start on a rebuild. Yeah, and I was, I thought that they did a masterful job in the Iguodala negotiations to get a good player uh, and just take him on and also get what could be a pretty darn juicy Warriors pick out in 2024. Very, not only a pick, but very minimal protections. Like usually that would be a lottery protected pick and now they struck it at the exact time that they needed to, uh, knowing the desperation that the Warriors had to make that move happen, and that with the hard cap restrictions, they had to move Iguodala, and they're able to extract a, a pretty penny out of that. And you know, who knows? Maybe they'll get something still out of Iguodala. Obviously, the salary matching there is going to be difficult. I'm sure Houston would love to have him, but they don't have anyone that they can trade for him. Well, they don't want to uh, pay tax at this point to match salary. I think Houston doesn't want to go into the tax. That may be part of. Or deep deep into the tax, that may be part of the problem there. Uh, you know, in terms of yeah. constructing well, a deal. Well, especially if there there's a report from Mark Stein that they may lose as much as twenty five million dollars in Chinese sponsorship revenue. So, right. uh, Sylvan Pertetta was already a little cash poor before this. So, um, yeah. Anyway, that that that's a tangent, but um, yeah. So it, it does seem like they're off to a pretty good start, though. Overall, we'll see. I mean, it's all you know. There is a playbook for these types of. Uh, rebuilds, you know, Sam Hinkie obviously went the deepest into it. In some ways, it's kind of easy. That's the easy part. If you have the commitment from ownership to rebuild, uh, and it seems like they do at this point to, to acknowledge that that's what it's going to be. But once you get to the point of, again, being competitive, you know, not, then you shift into a new phase and perhaps that's even kind of a different skill set, maybe much like it is with coaches when you're developing talent versus 
trying to win in the playoffs. But yeah, for the rebuild, I think they're off to a great start. I think that's pretty clear to me. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, I think I think this front office has shown they're good on the negotiation front. I mean, how good are they on the Italian about talent evaluation front and some of, some of that aspect of it? I think you know they're they're going to negotiate out and go after every little advantage they can and i think they'll be good at that respect in that respect yeah in terms of the rest maybe, of it maybe like, that's time why nobody seems to like them well that could be <laughs> right um you know nobody seemed to like hinky either and yet he was winning every trade so um yeah they're off to a good start it, it, it's very early for them but but i i think you know the transaction by transaction they've, they've done a good job this summer um all right big strengths for this group that's that's sort of hard. I mean, they're so they're so young, and they're going to be so bad. I mean, it's sort of hard to find strengths. I, I think they yeah. have potential for a versatile, productive front court rotation with Jared Jackson, um, Jonas Valanciunas, uh, Brandon Clark, and some of the versatility. You know, with guys like Kyle Anderson, um, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff they can do w- with that mix of players. Um, I think they'll have good playmaking, and they'll need it at the point guard position in terms of a combination of, of, of John Morant and Tyus Jones. Um, they'll have very, they'll be good passing at point guard if nowhere else. And maybe I'm sort of tipping the weaknesses, but I think, you know, they have productive young players in the front court. They have, you know, good playmakers at, at point guard and, and they'll sort of start from there. Yeah. I would second those two that stick out to me, although they may be somewhat mutually exclusive based on personnel running. John Morant is just going to push it down your throat, and it seems like Taylor Jenkins with the, that Bucks pedigree uh, is going to encourage that. Um, they they might not be – I could see them being near the top of the league in transition frequency when Morant is on the floor, but near the bottom of the league in transition points for possession. But even when you're in transition and you're at the bottom of the league, that's still much better than your half-court offense, which uh, you know as I'm sure we'll get to probably is going to struggle. Uh, and then the other one I think is rebounding. Uh, if you're going to play Jackson and Valanciunas together, Jackson is not a good defensive rebounder, which is part of, I think of why uh, they're loath to play him at, at center as much, at least to, to start with. Uh, but Valanciunas is one of the best offensive rebounders at his position. Uh, now the Bucks did not offensive rebound a ton, right. and it is somewhat uh, opposed to having the floor spread to be a really good rebounding team. But I think that with Valanciunas on the floor and, and Jackson as well, that they have enough personnel that they can probably get there to be a, a solid rebounding team uh, on both ends when they go with that group. Uh, but that, you know, Valanciunas well, is pretty yeah, and, and, Bra- and Brandon Clark might be an exceptional offensive rebounder. We'll see. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's another right. one too, sure. Uh, so, yeah, th- those are the two that I probably – and then I guess, you know, length on defense as well. I think right. they could put out at least some athletic, talented groups. Now, you know, young teams are rarely good – defensively that's part of what my struggle was you said they could be middle third of the league defensively um you know i have them just kind of you know when you look at their personnel i might even go higher than that i mean their personnel i think is you know solidly average but you know valentinus is a little slow Morant, i think is going to be terrible uh tyus jones is too small they're going to play those guys together to get enough offense on the floor and then just the overall young team tax the playing out the string tax by the end, I, I projected them at, at 21st defensively in the league, but, you know, and it's here from 15 to 22. So, you know, I think they could be higher. They could put out some good units. They could look good at times, but overall, I think it just, there are too many just macro factors going against them to be like an actual good defense. 
Yeah, no, no, I, I agree. That's around where I have them too. I, I think I had them in the the low twenties, but I think the potential is there to be closer to closer to to median than bottom. You know. All right, we've hit on some of these already, but uh, weaknesses that we haven't mentioned yet. Um, well, I mean, when your two best players are j- just turned twenty years old, that's you know, youth is is certainly part of it if you're trying to win this year. Um, on the court, I, I think I think they're I think playmaking outside of the point guard position, um, they don't have especially on the wings. They really don't have people who have proven they can generate offense really for themselves or others. Um, outside of that point guard position on the wing, and I think sort of related to that, they don't have any proven shooting. For for a team that wants to pace in space and let it fly, um, there's only one player on the roster who has who has a career NBA three three point shooting percentage of better than thirty five percent on better than two hundred attempts, and that's Dylan Brooks, who is barely there. Um, there's just no proven shooting on a roster that wants, to, or not a, not much proven shooting on a roster that wants to get up a lot of threes. So they, they 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 may they could set some record for missed threes this season. Yeah, and I think really the only way you're going to get there is if you play Jackson at center and really let him bomb away. At, at this point in his career, maybe we'll see he's evolved beyond this, but you know he's probably about average three point shooter for the four position. When you get to the five, then he, he can start to look pretty good and. Jay Crowder gives you, you know, maybe average three-point shooting at the four, but below average at the three. And so Dylan Brooks maybe average at the three, but below average at the two. You know? So right. uh, it, maybe they can get to a lineup that could be adequate shooting-wise, but it really is difficult, especially because you don't have that one guy where you're just like, all right, we're not going to leave it. I, I think maybe the best way to alleviate that is Jackson just becomes like a complete monster and he's, you know, bombing eight threes a game or something like that, and they really uh, – focus in on that, but they just have so many guys, you know, three of their four bigs, Anderson, Clark, and Valanciunas are, you know, have no established three-point shooting record whatsoever. Um, you know, if Josh Jackson plays, he's a, not a good shooter. Solomon Hill isn't a good shooter. Right. Uh, Caboclo has been, you know, kind of in and out. Uh, maybe he can take well, a and, 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 and they yeah. don't really have shooting, proven shooting from the point guard position either. I mean, Tyus Jones's yeah. career, 32, 33%, low, low volume. John Morant, like we'll we'll see, but I don't think anyone expects him to be a plus shooter uh, as a rookie. And so, yeah, the, the, you know, I think the hope maybe is that the system and the penetration and passing of Morant and Jones will help create decent shots, and maybe they'll shoot sort of above their weight because of the quality of shots they're getting. But I, you know, I, I think it's hard to hard to not see it as a weakness. The other thing I look at is I think these guys are going to foul like crazy, and it'll be an interesting dynamic because Jenkins comes from Mike Budenholzer's system. The Bucks went from fouling a ton to hardly fouling at all, in part because they just didn't allow offensive players with the, the incredible length that they had to get into the paint area where you're going to have fouls take place. Um, but Valanciunas has always been a high foul guy. Jackson, you mentioned his issues. They got a lot of young guys. Those guys generally foul more. I could see Grayson Allen having some five fouls in 15-minute games. Uh, so uh, I think that that's going to be maybe a, a big problem with their defense, even if they might be relatively sound in other areas. Yeah, no, I agree. And the, the Jared Jackson Jr.'s foul rate in particular is something I think people are going to be looking at this season to, to see. I, I just wasn't concerned about it last year. I, I, sort of rookie point guard turnovers, rookie big man fouls are things I don't really care that much about. But you want to see him sort of make an improvement in that area and get it to a manageable space. 
Yeah, and I also think they're going to just turn the ball over like crazy too. I mean, that's another thing that's going to be just a massive struggle for them. Morant had, you know, led the NCAA in turnovers last year. They're going to commit a ton of illegal screens. They're not going to have any spacing. They don't have great ball handlers. I mean, I think that they could be, uh, as the team has been for, uh, in many of their iterations, one of the higher turnover teams in the NBA. Yep. Um, all right, let's do some predictions here. Uh, I will go first with a predicted record for the Memphis Grizzlies. I'm going to go with 26 wins for this group. That's exactly what I have. I, I, I actually was a little lower, and I've, I've I've gone through the annual process of talking yourself into it a little bit more, <laughs> but, but I've talked myself into 26 basically at this point. So I also have them at 26 and 56. Yeah, I recall their over-under was 27 and a half, and I just – I have them as the number 29 offense. You know, I mean, I, I, and I think, uh, to me, they're uh, like the clear number thirty offense is Charlotte, but I think there isn't another team that profiles to struggle as as much as they do. And maybe the fast break can help that. Maybe some of these guys will shoot better uh, than their uh, their histories would indicate. But as of now, especially with the turnover issues, the lack of shooting, uh, the lack of playmaking, I think it, it, you have to. So there, maybe you know the clearest path for being a lot better is Jaws just a monster. Well, and and, and they're also playing a Western Conference schedule, and so sure. I can see on paper there may be as many as four teams in in the East that are worse. But I think the Grizzlies they may or may not be the worst team in the West, but I think it's impossible not to predict them right now to be the worst team in the West. And if you're the worst team in a conference, I mean, there's a pretty hard ceiling I think on the number of wins you're going to get to. Yeah, so I I think. Uh, it's going to be tough with that defense and yeah, the worst team in the conference as well. And, you know, that's at max conference disparity, which I think we're pretty close to there right now. Right. Uh, you know, it's, it could be a punishment of about two wins to be in the harder conference, you know, with 59 of your or 58 of your games being uh, uh, against the, no, wait, nah, that's not right. Anyway, <laughs> 24 extra games against right. the, uh, the other conference. Um so, best case scenario for these guys, you know, I, from a record standpoint, thirty-four maybe. I, I, th- I have a hard time imagining anything higher than that. Um, I, you know, I, I, I think maybe if John Morant is good as a rookie, which remains to be seen, but if he's good as a rookie, as you know, if he's more Derrick Rose, Russell Westbrook as a rookie, then you know, Mike Conley, De'Aaron Fox as a rookie, um, that would be a big help. Um, if Jaron Jackson Jr takes a big step forward in year two instead of having the kind of consolidation season. I think a lot of the, a lot of the best second year players last year had. Um, And, and if Jaron Jackson and Jonas Valanciunas mesh well together, which we just don't know yet, they only played together twice actually last season. I think if, you know, those core players sort of, you know, come together and and are better than expected, then maybe you can get into the low thirties, low to mid thirties. Yeah, I'd go as high as 36 because I think this defense, it wouldn't be completely insane that they could get to like the number 10 defense you know, that with the talent that they have. I mean, Jackson, everyone's saying how good he is. Well, you know, if he's that good and he's really this game-changing defender and then you've got, you know, Crowder has a good history. Valanciunas can at least take up space inside. They've got a lot of guys with length. Anderson Brandon Clark. in that category too. Yeah, yeah. Clark, Caboclo. I mean, like they have a lot of kind of unproven defenders, but they can put it all together with some of the talent that they have. And, you know, Morant doesn't completely kill them. 
um, which, yeah, I mean, he's got so many offensive responsibilities. That's going to be tough, but uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I mean, I don't think there's that high of a ceiling on the offense, you know, maybe they're like the 25th or 24th best offense or something. If everything goes great, but uh, yeah, I think that that defense could carry them to total respectability in a best case scenario. Um, how about worst case? Oh, I mean, worst cases are the worst team in the league, and and they've sub twenty win, you know, eighteen wins. I mean, something like that. That's certainly possible. Um, if if Morant really struggles as a rookie, um, if 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 they just if they just you know miss miss you know twenty threes every night, basically they they let it fly, they let it clank over and over again. Um, Morant's not good. Um, you know, I. You know, I think they're just so young that the possibility of, of a sub-21 season has to be realistic. Yeah, I'm slightly more optimistic than you. I'd go with a uh, a 20-win season. But, yeah, I mean, obviously, if you have some bad luck in terms of close games, which uh, these guys probably won't be too good in close games if, if they're, you know, I, I've never seen much evidence of an effect for youth, but that does seem to be uh, an established codicil that the, uh, the young teams do not perform as well uh, in close games. Um, and yeah, having a place to go, uh, someone who can score. I mean, yeah, just overall scoring on this team. I mean, it's, it's a huge week. I mean, they have, who's going to create like an, an ISO on this team, for example, like late clock, you're just, you're really going to struggle. So, um, all right. Uh, where can we keep up with your stuff here uh, throughout the season that, and learn more about this exciting young Memphis Grizzlies? Team? Um, you follow me on Twitter at Harrington NBA. That's my, my basketball Twitter feed. And I, I post links to everything I write there. You can also come to our site at uh, dailymemphian.com. Did a big piece this week on uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. and John Morant together, sort of a, a little bit of a do-over for the NBA, maybe on the on the Marbury KG kind of young point guard big man look, which I I do think the Grizzlies will be much more interesting than they are good this season. Yeah, I mean I'm really it's gonna be one of my favorite teams to watch. I, I think early in the season, I'm looking forward to seeing their first preseason game against like actual. NBA competition, and also by the way, if you're visiting Memphis, Chris uh, was telling me when we had a little uh, a little break due to technical difficulties that uh, he does uh, food articles as well in Memphis. Yeah, I write about a little bit of anything connected to Memphis. I've probably written about it at one time or another. So if, it, if anyone's coming <laughs> to Memphis and they want food tips, like hit me up on Twitter. I'm always happy to happy to help out. Yeah, as I was telling you before, I, I took this twelve thousand mile road trip this offseason and I only had time to swing through Memphis for like an hour and it was at 10 in the morning so I was hard pressed to find a barbecue place I ended up at Germantown Commissary because they opened at 9 30 but I'm uh looking forward to getting back into town and, and having some of the real stuff not the Germantown Commissary wasn't good but uh no no we, 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 we like the commissary commissary but we, we have a lot of options we'll, we'll be happy to take you on a barbecue tour next time you're in town yeah, I mean, anything with commissary in the name is generally going to be pretty good uh, from my experience. So, all right. Thanks again, Chris. Uh, appreciate having you on. All right. Thanks, Nate. The ruling on the field stands. We deliver jerseys, funny foam fingers, and everything you need for the game. But what you really get is so much more. FedEx delivery. Game day spirit. What we deliver by delivering. In-depth journalism in the Memphis community, The Daily Memphian is of Memphis, not just in Memphis, and seeks to tell the stories of this city. TheDailyMemphian.com. Truth in place.